Here I am in Memphis yet again, this time with Paul Benjamin, who is celebrating his 25th anniversary, I believe, with North Atlantic Blues Festival. Yes, 25 years this year in July. Wow, that's quite an achievement. Yeah, especially this day and age when you're seeing so many festivals that are kind of closing the doors or running out of gas. And so, you know, it's, uh, I'm very proud of it. I mean, if anybody would have told me 20 years ago I'd, I'd have a 25th anniversary, I'd have said, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's 25 years and we're, we're very proud of it. I want to go back, way back, sure. to, um, were, you, were you born in Maine? Are you from Maine? Yeah, that I, area? I was born in uh, Rufford, Maine, and, uh, you know, in... Uh, grew up on on jazz and blues my parents are huge jazz fans okay and uh, and they also with blues and uh, you know as a child I used to say you know I used to be dragged to the Newport Folk Festival not knowing who I was you know seeing Muddy Waters and Wolf and and uh, you know and people like that and all the jazz people and uh, so I kind of you know uh gravitated to the blues end of it uh and uh but uh you know I was like I said jazz was played on the uh on the old high five uh, you know, in the, in the uh, you know, in the '78s, in, you know, in my house for, for hours upon hours. Did you ever play music yourself? No, I don't play music, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, everybody sees you know the, the guitar I wear, but it's actually you know the logo of my of my festival. So, I don't play. Uh, I'm fortunate. I think I have. Uh, 12 or 13 guitars uh, in my music room. Oh, I heard about the music yeah, room. I got a set of drums. Uh, you know, I got a couple amps. I've had numerous people in there playing them. And, uh, you know, and uh, I actually even have a saxophone in there now. Uh, you know, when Eddie Shaw passed, uh, uh, he, I got one of his saxophones. Uh, he was my mentor. He's the one that got me into business. So let's talk about that. Well, no, before we get to that, tell me a little bit about growing up in, in Maine and, and what that was like. Yeah, I grew up in Rumford, Maine. It's a, a, a mill town. My, both my parents worked in a mill. It's in Western Maine in the mountains, and uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it was it was a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, I went to, went to Catholic school, so I had the Catholic nuns for the first eight years of my school. I, I still got scars on my <laughs> on my knuckles from getting hit with the rulers, but <laughs> that's another story. But uh, but uh, you know, growing up in uh, you know in uh, in uh, in Maine was you know and you know I still live in Maine. So, but growing up in Rumford, Maine was uh, was a uh, uh, a nice upbringing, uh, you know. I have, you know, two brothers and a sister older than me, two brothers and a sister younger than me. So you know, come from a, a large family, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was a good place to grow up. And you were into sports. Yes, I uh, I played, uh, you know, in high school sports. Uh, you know, I played basketball, I played football, and uh, uh, you know, and uh, just uh, you know, we played. We used to play a lot of hockey. Uh, we played outdoors, and uh, you know, and uh, so. Kind of, you know, kept kept busy and uh, you know, and uh, enjoyed life as a child. So, as a as somebody from Maine, would the Boston Bruins have been the team that you would have rooted for? Or? Diehard, my parents were diehard Bruins Bruins fans. Uh, you know, coming from Maine, I, you know, I'm, I'm a I am definitely a sports fan. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Bruins fan. I'm a Celtic fan, but I am not a Red Sox fan. I am not a Patriot fan. So, is it because you don't like those sports, or you like other teams? I, 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 I seven years old, the Dallas Cowboys came in in National Football League. I was seven years old, and they had those great big stars all over their uniforms and helmets, and I thought that was cool as a kid. And I was the I, I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan since 1960 when they came in the league. And in baseball, I was a Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris era fan, and I've been a Yankee fan my whole life. So, uh, you know, so. Rest of my family are you know are mostly uh, you know uh, 
New England fan, sports <laughs> fans, but uh, you know. So that must be difficult with Bo Sox versus Yanks. Oh yes, you know I'm I'm very proud to say though as of today, yes, the New York Yankees are in first place. The Red Sox are in second place, and you know, but uh, I have I have some good friends with rivalries that uh, uh, between the Red Sox and Yankees. You know, I mean, uh, we're sports fans, so we we you know we we kind of razz each other a little bit, but you know nothing. N- nothing disrespectful, so we kind of tease each other. But when when the Red Sox started off seventeen and two, you know everybody said, "Well, the Yankees are going to be playing for the wild card team. This this American League East is over." You know, I haven't heard from them this week. <laughs> <laughs> and I would imagine being a Yankees fan this year would be an easy thing. I mean, what what a great team! Yeah, they got a lot, and and, and they're homegrown, and that, and that's what's that, mm-hmm. you know, when the Yankees were winning the World Series with Rivera and Posada and you know and and all those guys and uh, you know Bernie Williams and you know people like that. They were all homegrown guys, and right now their farm system is these are the young guys that they brought up through the farm system that are playing, and yeah. you know the Yankees aren't doing uh, what the, you know they did make the big trade, for, you know. But but they're not buying people like they used to. You yeah. Know? So they're they're kind of you know they're uh, playing ball like the, like they should bringing up their. Uh, and you know they know. can always go out and buy some. Oh yeah, they can. <laughs> but you know I think for the first you know first last year and this year is the first year they've been under the luxury tax mm-hmm. in like <laughs> forever. <laughs> so you know they're they're doing it the right way, which is kind of cool to see. So I don't know if I have my information. Um, if I've got the wrong information, but did you not box as well? Yes, I actually I, I started boxing in the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, when I went in the Marine Corps, and uh, I, I give you a kind of a funny story. Uh, I was taking karate, and uh, you, you do the same move over and over and over, and uh, and I just kind of uh, kind of didn't hold my punch one time and let one fly, <laughs> and I hit it. I I happened to hit a a second lieutenant. And uh, didn't like it, so uh, he was gonna bring charges against me, and because uh, he was, you know, and uh, and uh, here I am, you know, 18 year old kid in in, in Marine Corps, and uh, and uh, you know, he said, "Do you want to throw your punches?" But you know, this was in Camp Pendleton and in California. He says, uh, "We got a choice for you. We're gonna give you a couple of days in the brig, or we're gonna put you in the ring, and uh, with the with the base champ, and you're gonna take a little beating." I said, "Well, you know, I, I used." To, fight with my brothers all the time and so I, fighting was not a big deal so I said I'll go in the ring with them and uh, in about 30 seconds it was over I knocked him out and and I walked and being full of piss and vinegar I'll say is I walked up to the lieutenant the second lieutenant and I said who's next <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so I had you know I had a, a you know really good duty in the Marine Corps uh, you know I was a uh, Machine gunner by you know my MOS coming out of boot camp out of Paris Allen and I went to Camp Lejeune and then to Pendleton and then uh, got on the uh, Marine Corps boxing team and uh, you know for the next uh, year and a half went, did a lot of you know going from base to base in different places fighting in the Marine Corps team so uh, it was a it was a you know cool cool thing to do I enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot so were you naturally gifted is that is that what we take out of this or uh, I don't know I mean probably being an athlete. Uh, was that so you know and then uh, you know then I did box uh, professionally after I, I got out of the service so you know and uh, you know so uh, I had you know and uh, I used to I used to work I worked out and uh, years ago in in Brockton Massachusetts with Marvin Hagler we used to go and spar with Marvin Hagler and that so I had a good time in, in the boxing you know I, but I was kind of doing it as a hobby you know because I had a wife and, 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 a, and a child so I had a real job 
and uh, and so. Uh, Did you not win a ch- state championship? Yeah, I won. A, I won a few championships. Yes. <laughs> just uh, as an aside. Yeah, honestly, I mean, you know, I just, but I, I want, you know, after a few fights, I won the ma- my goal was all right. I'll turn pro and I'll, I'll try to win the main championship. Well, I think I won the main championship in my third fight, and then I won. I figured, well, I'll try to win the New England, you know, and I won the New England, uh, you know, championship uh, as well as uh, in the. And I was fighting as, as cruiserweight and heavyweight, depending on who I had to fight. That's when they had that cruiserweight thing, which was 195 to 205. But if I have to, you know, and I fought right around the 200-pound mark most of the time. And uh, so, you know, depending on if you had to fight heavyweight, you'd still be 200 pounds, but you would weigh in. As a heavyweight, you didn't have to strip down the way in because as long as you made 210 pounds, so you'd sit there with a with a small jogging jacket on with two five-pound weights in the pockets. and Oh, yeah, he's 212, so we're, we're good to go. Did you uh, ever think about doing this full-time, like as a career? Or? Uh, not really uh, because I because of the family. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and I didn't have, you know, I, I lived in uh, at that point in Rockland, Maine. When I got out of the, out of the service, uh, you know, I came back to Maine, and I moved to Rockland, Maine, where I, you know, I live now. And uh, having a, a family in that, so I had to get a full-time job and take care of business. So I was fighting on the side, training myself. And every now and then uh, I, I could get into, you know, down to the Petronelli gym and work out with, you know, with some, you know. And then so as I got higher up in, the, you know, in the rankings in the New England area, uh, now I was fighting people who were fighting for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, that was their career. Mine was a hobby. So, you know, the competition was, you know, was going to get tougher. And I didn't have the time to put, you know, right. six, seven, eight hours in the gym a day, seven days a week with with professional trainers and having sparring partners i mean it's just uh it's you know it, it's uh it's, it's it's an interesting sport i loved every minute of it but when i you know uh my wife and i have been married 35 years you know Jean, and uh, you know she was at my last fight and uh you know when i had announced uh you know it's going to be my you know she says you know i don't you know time to get this stuff up and right. when I had my last fight, uh, I actually had Eddie Shaw and the Wolfgang come down and play my retirement party. Wow! And uh, so they went to you know uh, to, to that fight, and uh, you know, and it was hopefully going to be a, a victory party, which it was. I I gave the guy that uh, I had won the New England championship from the heavyweight championship from I get a chance to get his title back, and and I you know and I beat him, and so we had uh, you know a retirement you know party with you know Eddie Shaw and the Wolfgang played it for me. So. <laughs> Now, in this at this time, when you said you you you're working full time, you were now a policeman. Yes, I was a police officer in in, in Rockland, Maine. Like when I came out of the Marine Corps, I moved to Rockland. I was in a working in a supermarket, and uh, and uh, when I left, when I graduated from high school, I was working at a supermarket, and they honored the fact that they said when you come out of the service, we'll offer you a job, and the place that I was working in had closed. And so they, there was a, uh, it was the first national stores in Rumford, when Rumford made. So they offered me a job in Rockland, because that was the closest one. So when I went there, they only offered me a part-time job because when I left, when I was in high school, I had a part-time job. Right. And so, uh, so there's another store called Sampson's in the same town. So while I was there, I went over and talked to them, and they wanted me, they wanted to pick me on as a full-time job. So that's how I got into Rockland, Maine. So as I was working there. Uh, I, uh, me and a guy opened up a, uh, a, a workout class, a place like a gym, and he was teaching karate and I was teaching boxing. So we worked a deal with the city of Rockland and we got the police department. We came in and was training them. And so they offered me, uh, after training them for, you know, for a couple of few years, they, 
uh, asked me to apply for a police department job, and uh, you know, and I did, and got hired, and so I was a, a cop in Rockland uh, for about seven years. And what was that like? What's Rockland like in, in terms of crime and and Rockland's only got you know seven thousand people. This, but when I when I was a cop in Rockland, Rockland, Maine, back then was a fishing town, a uh, biker town. Yeah. Uh, so it was a lot of bars, and so it was it was a rough town. It, you know the, the old saying. I mean, Rockland was a working capital of the of the community, and the county seat, so everything was in there. So the jail was there, the courthouses were there, you know the prison was in Thomas in Maine, you know three miles down the road, but. You know, there was a lot of bars, there was a lot of, you know, uh, bikers and stuff. So, uh, you know, it was, it was, I mean, now my, my, was my life in danger like police officers today? Absolutely not. I mean, the laws are a whole lot different. I don't think I could be a cop today uh, with the, with the way that, you know, uh, the laws are. But I mean, so, I, you know, I was, a, you know, a, a cop. I enjoyed being a cop, but uh, uh, down the road I decided, you know, it wasn't for me. For, and then uh, I became a private investigator. Wow. So I was a private investigator for, for years, and that's what, uh, and I was doing the music on the side. That's and what, doing that's, the music was promoting music at the Time Out campaign? Uh, no, in fact, the Time Out, I've been there for 22 years now. My first time, I was, I was a bouncer at a place called Golden Spike, which is no longer there, but it was a, a biker bar that held 300 people. <laughs> And, Did uh, you, so you had to be a bouncer at a biker bar? Yeah, <laughs> and a cop. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I was there, and, uh, you know, and one night uh, we had uh, a band c- cancel on us, and so we, we called a booking agency in Boston that, that we were using, and they said, you know, we, you know, we need a band. It's a Saturday night, and we need, you know, we, we, got, we have to have a band. And he said, well... Sorry, we got no bands at all. They're all booked. He said, but we got this one blues band that came out of Chicago, and they were supposed to play in Boston, you know, on Saturday, and the place closed, so they're sitting around, got nothing to do. So we decided let's bring a blues band in. We never tried one, so here we are bringing Eddie Shaw and the Wolfgang, you know, which in in, in 1978 into, you know, Rockland, Maine. And here comes you know five African Americans, you know, into the bar, and you know, and, and the N word was. Distributed when like, who brought in you know, you know and I really I, yes you know who, you know it was you know and uh, so uh, I walked up to the guy who said who brought in you know using you know I don't like to use the word but who brought in the N word you know who brought them in and I walked up and I physically threw the guy out the door and walked over and apologized to the band saying you know I apologize for that you know it's just, and uh, and when we got them when they played. You know, it's uh, you. You could hear a pin drop, and a bit. they they went over so well that we booked. They played the following night. We did two nights with them, <laughs> so uh, that that was how I got introduced uh, to the you know, as as far as booking a band. And so Eddie was the first one that I booked back in 1978, in the, in the Golden Spike. And then uh, when the Golden Spike was open for a couple of years, and then I was like I, said, I had my private investigative business, but I opened up. You know, I was looking for Eddie would give me a call coming in from Chicago and he'd say, I'm gonna we we're playing the Tam in Boston and we got a couple of days off with like, you know, come up to Maine, come up to Rockland. So I'd find places I'd I'd rent two hotel rooms that had open doors and <laughs> have the band in there. I'd find places for him to play. So I started promoting him that way. Then I finally uh, decided to open up a bar. And, uh, and and but the private investigative business let me do what I wanted paid my bills and that and this was kind of so I started out in the blues world as, as a hobby wow and, you know and now uh, which has been you know been interesting you know you know when you can do you know now it's my living 
and you know so I'm, I'm you know it's kind of living a dream and you can take your hobby and turn it into a living it's pretty cool um i don't want details but what kind of private investigating stuff did you do like divorces uh, and like no i actually did a lot of insurance work for okay. workers compensation and then i did then i started uh, when that kind of was drying up and there was a whole lot of pis doing that i started using my police background and so i was i was hired by three or four law uh, lawyers in law firms that were in the Knox County where I lived, and I was doing their criminal investigations for them. So I ended up doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people were charged with, you know, rapes and stuff of that nature or gross sexual assaults. Or, and so I, I, I could work, use my investigative skills to get to the, you know, to the right answer. So I was doing a lot of criminal investigation, which, which was kind of, I enjoyed it because I'd be home at night when I was doing workers' comp, I mean, you might sit there and watch somebody that's, you know, collecting workers' comp and say they can't move and you'd wait for, sit there for 12 hours before they come out of the house and they go up and they go up and shingle the roof, but they're out on workers' comp. And you're so just taking pictures? You're and, taking yeah. pictures. In the old, the old days, you had the big video cameras, you, you know, so we're talking, you know, in the, in the you know, 70s and, you know, I mean, right. early 80s, so it's, uh, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's a whole different style, but, uh, you know, I did that for a, a lot of years and, as the more I got involved with with the blues things, I started easing down on on the on the you know, my PI work and and started doing a little bit more blues and you know and that's kind of where you know just kind of evolved and uh, it just kept continuing. So so you know. before you brought in Eddie Shaw, was there much blues in Rockland? None, absolutely none. So uh, there was a place in Portland, Maine, uh, that called Raoul's that I used to go see blues at. And uh, you know, and they had, you name them. They, you know, you know, Albert Collins was there. I mean, you know, all, you know, all, you know, they had, a, you know, it was, a, you know, but it was seventy miles from where I lived, and you know, and uh, you know, you'd see, you know, so you'd go there, but there was no blues in Rockland at all. So, so when I decided to bring blues into Rockland, it was like, yeah, right. You know, I mean, you know, it's a, you know, and of course, Maine is, still, I think, to this day, is still the whitest state in the nation. And so, when you're talking about bringing in blues bands you know in the main it was like you know portland's you know the biggest city in, in maine so it was it was fine there because and then when raul's closed they had a place called morgan fields which obviously named after muddy and they had big you know big big artists there and you know i mean but you know i mean i you know uh bringing it to my area i mean i was the first guy to bring you know tab benoit up in the main i was you know eddie shaw the first you know the first time and and Eddie introduced me to a number of artists in, in Chicago. He invited me out to Chicago Blues Fest and, and hang out with Eddie. So I got to meet a lot of artists, and they were playing the same circuit he was. So when they would come up into New England, I'd get that same call. Hey, we got a few days off. Can you find a place for us to play? And I, I you know, started doing that. But it's still a risky thing. I mean, oh, I, yes. I think promoting shows is a very risky thing, and it's no gotten question. worse <laughs> as the years go by. But that's a risky thing to bring a new genre of music into a, a town that might not be familiar with it and familiar with the artists that you were bringing in. How was it accepted there? When I first started bringing it in with the club, I mean, I had a club, you know, in uh, the bar I had, you know, we were doing rock and roll on weekends. And I was, I, I established my Monday night blues jams and, and I would do a jam of blues music every Monday night. And every probably twice a month or once a month, I'd bring in one of the national bands. As that continued to revolved then I started bringing in bands 
almost on a regular Monday night basis because they were there's enough of them around. And I was using some New England bass bands and that, but I was getting a lot of Chicago bands that were coming up and the word get out. There was a nice another place to play on a Monday night, which is very difficult for bands to find, you know. And they had hotel rooms and they were getting fed and making some money. So a lot of times they were playing New England and a lot of times going up into Canada. Right. So I was I, routing wise, I was the right place. And then uh, the places in Portland had closed. There was you know so. They didn't have that stop in Portland, but they could come up to Rockland and, and play for me. So Did was, you quickly um, understand the difficulties difficulties of being a blues musician and or the realities of being a blues musician and how tough a life that they have? Yeah, I, that, 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 that's a great point because a lot of people think it's all a limelight. They see these bands, they get there, they, you know, they get the groupies, that they, you know, think everything's great on the road and, uh, you know, any band, not just blues, but mm-hmm. any band on the road and, you know, and maybe more especially blues where it took so long, you know, for it to get, you know, to where it, it is today. But, I mean, even back then, even today it's tough for a blues artists, with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or any band, but, uh, you know, Bringing in, you know, blues artists in, you know, in the main and, you know, and then knowing, you know, that, you know, they were driving, they were, they just got done at, you know, at one o'clock in the morning and, you know, and they get to the hotel by maybe three in the morning because they got unpacked their gear and load up and get to the hotel and then they got 10 hours to get to the next, you know, next gig. So, you know, it's, it's a really rough life for a lot of, most of the bands. Now there's a, obviously, you know, there's some bands that, you know, travel first class and have you know but uh you know but uh it, it's it's a tough life and you know and being working with other bands and now you know managing bands as i do i produce i produce four records for eddie shaw and then putting on you know i i probably do 40 50 shows a year and now i'm doing seven festivals seven uh, and uh and so i've seen all sides of it I, i've been a talent buyer i've been a promoter you know, I've, I've managed some artists, I've produced some records, so I, you know, and now, you know, and being involved with the, with the foundation, uh, you know, as, as, you know, since 93. And, uh, you know, so I, I've seen all sides of this. So I, I understand what artists go through on the road and, you know, and it's not the lime life everybody thinks it is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, it, it's a job, uh, but they love what they do. It's, 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 you know, it's like, I love what I do. I mean, I really enjoy, uh, b- you know, being part of the Blues Command, you know, family. And uh, so it's it's a unique situation, but I I know what bands go through, and it's uh, you know it's not it's not uh, you know the lime life everybody thinks it is. But I understand they get fed lobster at your festival. Oh yes, they do. We do feed our bands lobster at, at the festival, and uh, uh, you know that's the kind of a funny sounds like st- a good life to me. Yeah, you know, so they they you know some bands just you know it's uh, Shamika is funny. I mean Shamika, I've known for I know her dad, and you know in uh, Monterey, which was booked her and. Uh, and after a while, one of the one of the people that I was dealing with, and he says, "What's up with this, you know, lobster, you know, at Paul's? Shamika wants on her contract." And he's joking. I said, "I said, well, they just usually come up to the house and they have lobster, and then there was another. They had other friends up there that did lobster. But I mean, it's uh, how we started feeding the bands lobsters. It was kind of a funny story. Is that we had a couple of fishermen that were docking at at the uh, at the dock or the festival because our festival not the next right on the ocean so that right. people ask me for a backstage pass i tell them to bring a life jacket because <laughs> you can jump out literally jump from the stage into the ocean and uh so we had a couple of guys said we really like to meet a couple of these artists any chance we can meet some of these guys and i said no nah, i see that you know and he said well how about if we feed them lobsters on the boat 
I said, you guys are going to feed him a lot. He, I said, well, what's that going to No, no, you just bring the guys down. We'll feed him. We'll, we'll, it, it'll be free. We'll feed him. And, and so in, in Maine, you cannot drink in public. So they also can't drink at North Atlantic. So, right, right. And, but there's places you can drink around. But they said, no, we can bring him down and feed him lobster. They can have all the booze they want on, on the boat. So these guys did this for like three years for me. And so and then about the, I think it was two years, the third year, they called me and said, uh, you know, well, we, 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 you know, we, we can't do it anymore. So now, the it was well, you get lobsters at North Atlantic. So we, we, been, we took it over since then and been feeding, you know, feeding the bands lobsters. But I got a, good, a lot of good connections in that time of the year. Lobsters is, is you know, fairly inexpensive. So, but uh, we make sure the bands get get fed lobsters, and uh, and I get some bands just say, just feed us lobsters, we'll play for free. Yeah. In theory, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. But the management don't let them do that. <laughs> um, was that a difficult thing to start this festival? Like that was probably very risky in the first. Uh, it was risky. I was actually doing it uh, through through Eddie Shaw. Uh, you know, uh, I was doing the club and and uh, and looking at something to do different. So I decided, you know, I'm going to try a small festival. And so I had four local regional bands and I had two national bands and uh, uh, the first year I believe I had uh, Eddie Shaw and, and William Clark hmm. and uh, and so I decided to you know do a festival in a parking lot of the hotel where I had the bar so we kind of just roped off and there's a little place across the street that had a nice green area of grass and people sitting there in their lawn chairs watching it for free right. and uh, you know because they weren't coming in the, the gate so the, the year two the first year, I probably had 50 people out in the parking lot, and I had to show in the club that night where both bands played, and that would sell out. So I, you know, was taking care of it. And my rock and roll shows and stuff I was doing on the weekend in the club also helped pay for that. But so the second year, I had a few of my buddies that had tractor trailer trucks come up and make a perimeter so nobody could see unless you came in. So, and so I, I did that for four years, 1991, two, and three. It was called the Trade Winds Blues Bash. And uh, in 1994 is when I had the first North Atlantic Blues Festival. Change the name, got a partner. We moved it across the street because at that point, the city of Rockland was hosting Schooner Days. All those tall ships were coming into Schooners. And uh, so they, I was doing my festival on, on a Sunday, and they said, would you you know, like to come over? And you know, the public landing is empty on a Sunday. Do you want to bring the festival over there? So at that point, I was stepping up a big step. So I got a, a couple of partners, and uh, uh, we went over and created the first North Atlantic Blues Festival. And then we did that for a couple of years and then realized that the schooners were actually leaving at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning because they were from Saturday, a week-long cruise, mm -hmm. and they came in late Friday night. So, so the park was really open Saturday and Sunday, so we decided let's do a two-day We you know, because we had... First year we were lucky; we had fifteen hundred people. Second year we had three thousand. Then we went to four thousand, wow. and so uh, you know, so it was a challenge within the city. I mean, when we first decided to do the Blues Festival, calling it North Atlantic, I had to you know jump through a lot of hoops within the city because uh, the other one was a small one in the park lot. Now we're bringing in bigger names and more people in the Lobster Festival, which had been going on there for years, had been the only show in town, and. That nobody was sure another something else like that was going to work, and they thought I'm going to bring in a bunch of bikers. There's going to be, you know, a lot of difficulties, and and I proved to them. So the first couple few years, uh, you know, we were you know we were probably uh, put under a microscope, being watched, and you know, and it, it was uh, 
really working well. And after the third year, we decided with, you know, the, we went two years with the festival, we decided to also add a club crawl. And so we turned about 15 restaurants and uh, bars on Main Street in the juke joints that night, and I hired a whole bunch of Maine blues bands to play in there, and the, and the bands that were playing on the, on the national stage would kind of go and jam with them. And then we actually got to close down U.S. Route 1 on a Saturday night in July and, uh, and close it down to the, the public so they detoured around it. So we put uh, some bands on the street as well. And we let all the locals who could not afford to go to the Blues Festival, they had this for free. There was five, you know, three, we started out with three bands on the street. And then, uh, it, it, you know, it, the popularity was really good. And, you know, and uh, very proud to say that, you know, that the downtown people absolutely loved it because they had their stores open. All of a sudden now they're packed. And you know, when you know the Chamber of Commerce in Rockland ended up giving the North Atlantic Blues Festival the Economic Enhancement Award, it was it ended up it, turned, it still is to this day. It's the busiest weekend in town now. Wow! And, so, and it, did you ever have any hard times? Was the festival always smooth sailing and getting better all the time? Oh, uh, you know, I never really had any hard times. Uh, you know, per se, with uh, any individual. I mean, you always have hard times. Uh, you know, that's why I consult for festivals around the country. Now, I made every mistake known to man. You know, I could tell you what not to do. <laughs> but but you're also dealing with weather and, oh, we've, and yeah. climate and, and, you know, whatever else is going on. And, and there's only so much you can control. Yes. I mean, you know, you know, the, the hard part, when you first start doing this, you, you, you start looking at the 30-day weather forecast. <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, they don't know what the weather's going to be tomorrow, but, you know, you're looking at the 30-day weather forecast, and, you know, and, and we had, you know, learned right off is, you know, is have a, a decent price difference yeah. between your advance tickets and your at-the-gate prices. So, we, you know, we were fortunate, uh, you know, we, we put on a, a really good show the first, you know, couple of years, so people were buying tickets in advance, and because it became so popular after a couple of years, uh, some of the local businesses wanted to be involved, so we started picking up sponsors. So that that eased the burden a little bit. But you're always, always, always uh, taking a chance on a band showing up late or a, a missing a plane if they're coming in or, or weather. Right. And you know, and uh, you know, there's nothing you can do on the weather because if the band shows up and if the fe the festival takes place, you're paying them regardless. And so you know, we've been very fortunate. Uh, in, in 24 years, this will be the 25th year this year, but in 24 years, we actually have only had to shut the stage down once, and mm -hmm. that was for lightning. You know, we know we actually had uh, remnants of Hurricane Cindy hit us in 2005, but hmm. the rain was coming, pouring straight down, and we still had 6,000 people, and it was like a sea of yellow, all wearing yellow slicker <laughs> rain jackets out there. So, so you, you learn to adjust uh, with things, uh, you know, the biggest thing is you always want to make sure in the front of the house that the audience thinks everything is fine. You know, nothing's going wrong out back in the stage. There's no headaches and everything's good. You keep that smiley face. And out back, you probably got 30 problems, but you, you take care of them. And, uh, uh, and I've learned how to deal and, and cope with that stuff and, and uh, feel very confident in, in my own ability to be able to make a, to make a change on the fly. Uh, you know, and that's, you know... I think key to any successful uh, in the music business. Tell me about the passion you have for this. I mean, it's a risky thing to do, but you do it, and you're kind of growing. Tell me about 
I'm a blues fan first. I mean, you know, I grew up a blues fan, and you know, when you know, when the Stones were out with the Beatles, now the Beatles put out some great songs, but I was a Stone fan. I mean, you know, they played that right. gritty music, and I was a Stone fan. You know, I mean, it's uh, the passion is, uh, you know, you know, I think being a fan, uh, you know, I think my, if my wife was sitting here, she'd tell you, you know. Uh, I do this for free, if, you know, but now it is my living. So I, it is a business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I learned to, ad- uh, you know, adopt it to a business. Every one of my vessels are their own corporations and stuff. But, and if you treat it as a business, but, you know, being a fan and, you know, and I have a great rapport with pretty much every artist that, that, that has played for me. I, I you know, it's, we're, we're friends as well. And, you know, a, a lot of the artists, I've been to their home. They've been to my home for dinner. And so you, you have that that friendship and but then you also take care of business first and I, I the reputation you know my reputation in, in the music world is is very uh meaningful to me so i you know there's many many times when i first started i'd tell the band i'm going to pay you x amount of dollars and and you know the, the someone would show up and you know there'd be 10 people there and I, you know, and they say, "Gee, you're gonna lose your shirt." So I said, "No, you, you showed up. You met your about your, what your contract is. You know, the money came out of my back pocket. And I, you know, I made sure they got paid, and and having that reputation is is so important uh, because you know it's their living too. I mean, it's not their fault that someone didn't show up. So, so that's how you learn how to be a promoter. Learn how to be find out who that person in the local newspaper is. The music editor." And you, you know, you, you take care of them and make sure they have free tickets to the shows. And, and uh, you know, I have a great rapport with, with the people that I work with. But, you know, it, it's definitely a risk. I mean, every, any, I, I definitely uh, sympathize with any person who's willing to put on, an, you know, an outdoor show, even indoor shows if they're new in the business. I mean, uh, you know, dealing, dealing with agents, uh, dealing with uh, labels, dealing with just the whole uh, uh, bands that travel with, with a road manager, uh, you know, dealing with those people, uh, a lot more, sometimes are more the headaches than the actual the actual show. I mean, uh, so but it's it's you know it's a it's a good fun ride I'm on. I'm I'm in, I'm, in, I'm loving what I'm doing, and you know it's uh, uh, you know I'm 65, so I figure I got another 10 to 15 good years in me. I'm healthy, and uh, you know I you know and you know and I had no idea that I would you know North Atlantic was my baby, and it, you know what it still is, but you know. I had no idea I would start expanding, and you know, and over the past uh, you know eight, ten years, you know, I'm now involved with a number of festivals, uh, three or four of my own, uh, with a partner, some I own outright, and and I, I consult uh, for other festivals and actually put their festival, book it, run it, and and, and there. So, uh, you know, and it's it's it, you know, it, knowing how hard it is for an artist to be on the road, and you know, I guess I look at my job in the blues world is if I can create new festivals or help festivals existing festivals continue to be you know you know relevant uh that's my job in the blues world i mean wow. so I, that's how i look at it i mean you know I'm, as, as you know i'm involved have been involved with the blues foundation uh, uh you know 90 2003 i came on the board and uh you know and i'm very honored to say i was the first person ever elected president back then it was president now it's chair of the board but I was the first person ever elected president of the Blues Foundation board that did not live in Memphis. And so, and I, then I was elected four consecutive terms. So, uh, you know, so I, I enjoyed, you know, that. Um, so I'm highly involved in it. I rolled off the board, as you do after six years, and came back on after four years off the board. Uh, you know, I got uh, asked to come back to run for the board again. 
that's when we were building the Hall of Fame and bought a building and and I said no I, I was at you know my first one of my first meetings with the Blues Foundation that's when the foundation was really hurting and uh, you know was basically flipping a coin do we lock the doors up and call it a day or try to make it go and uh, you know and uh, you know the foundation is doing a, a great job now uh, Jay Sil I came on when Jay did and Jay mm -hmm. did a phenomenal job and got us out of debt and helped us where we're at and then when he retired I mean then Barbara came on and Barbara's taking us to the next level I was on the steering committee to hire Barbara and and uh, so when I came back on the board Jay called me says you know I've got no one on the board now that knows where we were he says you know if you I said not nah, I, I did six years a hard time <laughs> and, and he says but don't you want to be on the board when we open up the we buy our home and open up the Hall of Fame? I said, ah, you got me, Jay. So <laughs> I ran for the board and I got elected and immediately got elected to the executive committee. And the next, the second, the next year on, I got reelected as chairman of the board then for a couple of years. And then when Barb, you know, came on and I was supposed to run roll off the board this past October. Uh, but when they created a new position, uh, Barbara said, you know, can you stay on? You know, because she was new and I was. Uh, working with her and then until so they created a new position now there's an immediate past chair which I'm doing and so I, I mentor the chair of the board now and so so they got me for one more year so they got got another two years out of me but I don't mind I love I, you know I love the, what I you know been I've been coming here to Memphis for probably over 20 years I mean before I was involved with the foundation coming to the you know the, the BMAs and uh, you know then thereafter that to start in the, with the IBC so well, you contribute a lot to the blues. Um, I'm going to have to wrap this up, yep. but I want to finish with um, just one more question. Maybe you could just tell me about what Eddie Shaw means to you and what he's meant to, because in some ways this has all happened because of Eddie. Yeah, uh, Eddie was my mentor, uh, you know, and a friend, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, because of Eddie, I created a record label. Eddie would always show up and never have any records to sell, so I created a record label. And I did, I did four uh, CDs for Eddie, uh, you know. Eddie's the reason I started that first festival in the park. And I said, you ought to try to do a festival, you know, so I, I you know, and I learned how to do the festival. So, you know, and, uh, you know, in, in all the artists that he introduced me to throughout the year. So, you know, Eddie was, uh, you know, uh, uh, we were very close. And, uh, you know, when his, when his, uh, when his mom passed, uh, you know, I went down to, you know, Greenville, Mississippi, you know, and went to, went to the funeral. And uh, you know when Eddie was in a hospital, that's when Eddie was starting to have some of his heart problems. And uh, you know, talked to the doctors, and we got to get take Eddie out of the hospital and bring him to the funeral home, just by himself, so he could say goodbye to his mother. Eddie was very, very close to his mother, and you know, and so you know, and then Eddie went through his surgeries and that, and you know, when when Eddie got inducted to the Blues Hall of Fame, I had the honor of inducting Eddie into the Hall of Fame. So that was uh, uh, it meant a lot to me, and then. Uh, a year ago when Eddie was here at the Blues Music Awards, you know, we had the, Eddie said that's when he's going to retire, and I threw a quick retirement party for Eddie. We had four Hall of Famers show up at the Blues, you know, foundation. We had the Hall, you know, the party for him, and then, you know, of course, when he passed was a very, very difficult day, but uh, I, I had the honor of actually speaking at his funeral and uh, being part of his funeral. So, uh, you know, Ed, Eddie was, uh, you know, uh, I, I owe a lot to Eddie. And, uh, you know, and he, he'll always be close and dear to me and, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you, know, uh, he, he, you know, mentor, but more all, he was my friend. And that, that's, you know, I think I can end at that. He was, he was a great friend. Thank you so much for doing this. It's a real pleasure talking I'm to you. Glad to do it. And, you know, it's uh, my pleasure. Thanks.